0: My son was in eighth grade at that time. He's now 20. And I'm like a super planner. And I'm worried about like, how are we going to afford college in, you know, four years? And how is he going to do everything he needs to to get into a good college? I was worried about all of that. And I'm sitting on Facebook, as we do. And I see something about a kid who went to school in Germany for free. And it was in English. And I had no idea that this existed.
1: That was Jen Vmont speaking about her huge money-saving discovery about where her son might go to college for his four-year degree. Getting a four-year degree outside of the United States, or for that matter, any country where you do not live, will be our focus on the next two episodes of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hello, Looking Forward listeners. Thanks for tuning in. On the next two episodes of Looking Forward, we're going to focus on the growing trend of students going overseas to get a four-year college education. Not only students who live in the United States, but students who live elsewhere, too. Here in Part 1, Episode Number 89, we'll learn about how many students are going overseas to attend college, where those students come from and are going to, what some of the benefits are in doing that, what impact COVID-19 has had on this, and what the near-term future might look like for this trend. In Part 2, we'll discuss a lot more, including what opportunities this trend might offer you are Looking Forward listeners. To help us with all this, we've brought on another outstanding guest expert. She's Jen Vimont. Jen Vimont is the founder and president of Beyond the States, a company that helps those living in the United States find the right college in Europe for students and their family. Jen obtained her master's degree in social work from the University of Illinois, Chicago, and is a licensed clinical social worker. Before launching Beyond the States, she worked in a variety of areas, including school social work, mental health, coaching, and as a parenting coordinator for high-conflict divorce cases. Jen loves to travel, and over the years, she's enjoyed less tourist traffic destinations during her university visits. This helps her get a deeper feel for the city she visits by eating, shopping, and residing in areas populated by locals. Jen and her family lived in Portugal for two years and now reside in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Her son studies international relations at AAU in Prague, and her daughter plans to study criminology and psychology in Ireland. Hi, Jen. Welcome to Looking Forward.
0: Thanks so much, Steph. I'm happy to be here.
1: Well, it's great to have you on. I love the thing that you're doing with Beyond the States, and that's why we brought you on. It's a nice, exciting, positive trend to talk about. Now, Jen, you're a licensed clinical social worker. You spent a lot of time with schools, with children and families before you started Beyond the States. So I'm wondering if you could please share with us why you chose to become a social worker and the kinds of work you did before Beyond the States.
0: Sure. I always knew I wanted to be in a helping profession. Originally, I thought, oh, that must mean psychology. And as I went through schooling, I realized that it was definitely more, I could still be a therapist as a social worker. So I got my master's in social work, became a licensed clinical social worker, and have worked just about everywhere. Community mental health on the south side of Chicago. I worked in psychiatric hospitals. I worked in schools. And actually, just while I was starting beyond the states, I worked in an alternate form of a dispute resolution for High Conflict Divorce. So it was working with the courts and High Conflict Divorce, something called a parenting coordinator.
1: Now that must have been challenging.
0: It really was. It really was. It was what I was doing while I was building Beyond the State. So, you know, I kind of had my mantra of like, okay, this is why I'm doing this to build this other business. And so it definitely worked for that reason. I think my biggest issue is I didn't really feel like it really helped people, you know, it put out fires, but it didn't solve anything.
1: Yes. And this is such a transition in a way from that, but not from your background. So I'm wondering if you could speak to what made you decide to begin Beyond the States? And it sounds like it was something that you'd been thinking about for a little while. It wasn't like a lightning bolt hit you.
0: I don't know, a lightning bolt did kind of hit me. One thing is, is I've always been sort of entrepreneurial, even with my social work positions. It's been about creating a business and building in those aspects. And it's been about helping people. But I knew I wasn't enjoying or being really fulfilled by what I was doing at that time. And my son was in eighth grade at that time. He's now 20. And I'm like a super planner. And I'm worried about, like, how are we going to afford college in, you know, four years? And how is he going to do everything he needs to to get into a good college? I was worried about all of that. And I'm sitting on Facebook, as we do, and I see something about a kid who went to school in Germany for free, and it was in English. And I had no idea that this existed. I thought, this is study abroad. You know, I knew study abroad. I had no idea. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to sit on my back porch and just, you know, do a little tooling around on the internet to see if we'll keep this on our radar. And I got so sucked into the project and realized that my son was you know, 13, 14. I wasn't planning his college at that point. But I was just getting so excited by the possibilities and the benefits. And so I realized other people could benefit from this information too and decided to start Beyond the States.
1: It's such a fascinating way to get into a business. And it's not uncommon. To hear people say, I had a need myself or somebody in my family had a need. And that's what led me to realize that I'm probably not the only one who has that need. Right. And I can only say to you, I wish you would have started your business about 40 years earlier. (laughs) Because, you
0: know, these options didn't exist then.
1: I guess they didn't. We're going to talk a little bit about that (laughs) because I know one of my daughters studied abroad in Italy and the other one studied abroad in Spain. And I know that each of them probably would have considered studying all four years in those locations and they could have saved my wife and I a lot of money.
0: Oh, listen, we're saving like about $200,000 by my son. Now, I don't have $200,000 laying around here that were actually saved, but... When I look at what we're saving ourselves, it's incredible.
1: Yes. Now, when I think about beyond the states, first of all, I should say one of the things I really like about it is looking forward is going beyond the states. Rethink globally, looking Mm -hmm. at global trends. It seems to me that for a person to do the research, to understand the various colleges, And I'm talking about not only a student, but a parent. It's a lot of work. I'm wondering, how did you get your arms around operating a business like Beyond the States? Because it's more than just business acumen. And you weren't an MBA student. It's also trying to get a hold on colleges and universities that aren't near us in the United States.
0: Yeah. Well, I started with the second part. I started with let me become an expert. And before, you know, I knew this was in order to start beyond the States, but it was before we started looking for any customers. And so I spent a year, I went to schools in Europe and I said, you know, explain this to me like I'm five years old. I don't understand. And I went to a number of different countries. And let me just say that there are fantastic English spoken bachelor's and master's degrees all over the world. But I knew that I can't become an expert in all of those. So we had to also think, you know, where can we really confine this to? So I focused on the EU. First, it was just continental Europe because that's non-Anglophone. We've recently added Ireland too, just to be EU, EEA countries. And so, like I said, just visiting them and getting all that information and understanding before starting to get customers and creating our database at that same time too. Now, regarding the business side of it, Though I have an entrepreneurial uh, spirit, I do not have an MBA mind. And so there was a lot of trial and error in the beginning stages of building the business side of it, which is one reason why during the first couple of years, I continued working my other job. But you could really tell... I mean, any business, it takes a good 5 years before you're like, Oh, yeah, this is it. And it was probably year 3 when I actually realized that. like, Oh, this is it. And had a business model that really worked and had products and services, you know, I realized I understood our customer more than so I was able to develop products and services that would really help them through this process.
1: Well, it's great that you were able to work this in rather than jump hook, line and sinker into it. And you point out a good thing for others who are listening who may have an entrepreneurial spirit to hear And that is that it may take a little bit of time before you really feel comfortable with something. But if you have that passion going for you, that's going to keep you moving forward with it. A quick other question I want to ask you is, did you have any particular love of travel, particularly travel in Europe, where you have concentrated your program at the moment, that was also part of this or was that sort of incidental? Oh, it happens that we're going to make it easier for us. We're going to just put our arms around one area of the world.
0: I love travel. I've always loved travel. And that's something that we instilled in our international travel. It's something that we instilled in our kids very young too. I mean, we would drive a car until the wheels fell off, but we took them to Japan at a young age. You know, we wanted, you know, being a part of the world, and experiencing the world to be really integral part of their life and experience. So that part of it, that travel and international experience, was very exciting to me. We've been to Europe a number of times. I don't know that I like travel to Europe any more than I like, you know, travel to Asia. But if we're talking about a region that has enough familiarity to Americans, and we're talking about a region that has a higher education system that's coordinated through the Bologna Declaration. And, you know, listen, I don't mind visiting there a few times a year. We just lived in Portugal for two years in order to make visiting to schools easier. But then, of course, COVID happened. now we're back and I am not dreading getting back to traveling there a few times a year at all.
1: I'll bet you're not. <laughs> a lot of us are not dreading the possibility. Right. I'm curious what you're doing struck me before when I first heard about it as being very unusual, very creative. It seemed unique to me. So I'm wondering, are there many businesses out there that are offering the same kinds of services that Beyond the States offers? And if there are others, are there differences that exist among the various or few who offer this?
0: There's no other company that specializes in both Europe and also in terms of the specific things that American students need to know when traveling, when studying in Europe, how the, high, the American high school diploma relates to their admissions requirements. Now, there are portals. I'll see people sometimes on our Facebook ads saying, you can get this information for free. Why would you pay for it? We give a lot of information for free too. We're passionate about giving information through our blogs and our podcasts. And we have a ton of free information, but the free information you can find online it's not objective. These databases are created. And the reason they don't charge the customers, their customer is a university. So they have skin in the game in terms of the information that they present. It's often not accurate. It's never unbiased. And it's never directed just to the specific needs of American students and families.
1: Okay. So you're... For those who are familiar with this, you're kind of like a consumer report. You're not getting any advertising revenues.
0: Exactly. We don't take any money from universities. And that way, when a student comes to me and says, oh, I want to go to University B, I can say, "Ooh, you know what? I visited there. Not a fan. I never trash University B in public forums. But what our members are able to get is my inside information that's non-biased and maybe not complimentary.
1: Right. That's good. Okay. Now, as you know, Jen, on looking forward, one of the things that we focus on are trends. And we like to look a little bit backwards before we go into the future and look forwards. So I'm wondering if you could give us an idea of when this all started. I don't mean your business, but this whole notion about students going abroad to learn and get their college education or degrees. And I know that might include study abroad programs as well. How's it evolved over the last few decades? I know the history doesn't go back probably thousands of years. So what's the evolution of this over the last few decades? We'll start with the U.S. and then we'll go elsewhere.
0: Well, so it's a little bit hard to speak to because most of the stats are about study abroad. There's not very much attention given particularly in the U.S., To students who get their degree outside of the US, I can tell you that study abroad was increasing before COVID. It's about 10% of all college students. And then, of course, when COVID hit, it decreased by 53%. The COVID issues don't affect degree seeking students because degree seeking students are going to have residency in the country in which they're studying. If you're going for a 90 day program, you're just going on a tourist visa and you don't have that. But I will say that. The last research around this that I could find, and I dug deep and I contacted researchers who I who I know who do the research on this, was in 2013. And at that point, there were 46,500 U.S. students enrolled in academic degrees abroad. But that was just limited to the 14 countries in this study. So it could have been broader than that. And that was a 5% increase from the previous year. But those are the last stats we have are 2013. So
1: I assume it's grown. It's becoming more common over the last decade. That's almost a decade.
0: Yes. Anecdotally, I would say yes. Anecdotally, and by that, I also mean from when I'm talking to different universities, is they definitely are seeing an increase as well. You know, there's a real lack of awareness, not only in the U.S., but in other countries that you can study in English outside of the U.S., the U.K., South Africa, Australia, People think, oh, if I want to study in English, I have to go to an Anglophone country. So part of it is just creating awareness that these opportunities exist and you can go study in Spain without being fluent in Spanish.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important to point out the distinction here, which is we're not talking about the study abroad program where, for example, my daughters went for a semester. This is a full degree program. Correct. And probably the closest thing that comes to my mind with this, which I had only thought about back in the day, and then you made me think about it again, is you would hear about students who couldn't get into medical school in the United mm. States, and they would go overseas. And we know that there are students who are overseas and come to the United States and get medical mm-hmm. degrees. Mm-hmm. But those are different programs than the ones you'd be speaking about, correct?
0: I mean, there are English medicine programs in Europe. There are some obstacles around that if you want to come back and practice in the U.S. We recently did a podcast interview with a doctor who is Indian and studied in India and is now a practicing physician in the U.S. So it's possible, but there are obstacles. We're talking about bachelor's and master's degrees, again, taught entirely in English at European universities. It's not like these aren't like the American University of Paris places. So those are there too. In things like international relations, international business, tourism, you know, just political science, anything you can think of, really. Yeah. Now,
1: we were speaking here about the United States, Jen, but Mm -hmm. I'd like to go more global now. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know if it's become more common for people who live outside of the United States, students, to actually get their full degrees outside their country of origin. And maybe you could give us some examples of that.
0: Sure. I'll tell you, the U.S. students are behind the ball on this one. I mean, the trend has been a lot faster moving or maybe earlier moving in other countries where students would primarily come to Anglophone countries, but also all around the world. So in 2017, there were 5.3 million international students. And this is up from 2 million in the year 2000. So if we even just estimate the U.S. students enrolled from 2013 at 46,500, that is like a little tiny, tiny, tiny drop in the bucket of all these international students around the world. So the countries that send the most are China, India, Germany, Korea, and Nigeria, and several Central Asian countries. So those are the most. Incoming to the U.S. was rising every year since 2013, and then it started dropping in 2019. That was before COVID that it started dropping, though. And most of the international students who come to the U.S. come from China and India, followed by Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Nigeria, and Saudi Arabia.
1: That's fascinating. As far as you know, get to COVID, mm -hmm. there has been a trending upwards of students from one country going to some other place to get a four-year degree or maybe a two-year master's degree or something.
0: Yeah, and just to speak on that for a minute, just over half of the bachelor's degrees in Europe only take three years to complete. Also, so that just further contributes to the savings. But yes, to answer your question, it has been a trend that's been on the rise. COVID messed with it a little bit, but it has definitely been on the rise.
1: And when you speak about that five million or so students, Jen, what I'm curious about is, and you may not know the answer to this, are they predominantly students? Who don't live in the United States, but are going to the United States, or are they going from Nigeria to Paris or, you know, wherever? Do we know anything about that?
0: We know that they were going primarily to the US, to the UK, to Australia, and France and Germany. Those were the top five countries that these five point whatever million students went to.
1: Okay. And I'm assuming, again, you'll tell me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. That those countries, the schools, I should say, within those countries have in turn become perhaps not only more aware of this, but perhaps are becoming more marketing savvy about it, putting out more information to try to recruit students from one country to another?
0: You know, there's not as much of that mentality in other countries, at least in Europe, as there is in the US. In the US, it's very like marketing heavy what the universities do. And because the approach to higher education and the philosophy around accessing higher education is so different in Europe, it's not run like a big business, that marketing component isn't as obvious either. They're not going to try to woo you. They're going to say, here's what we have. If you like it, cool. We don't have a chocolate fountain like your university in the US, but here's what we do have.
1: Right. And one other follow-up to that, again, I'm not sure if you're going to know the answer to this is... Are colleges that are not in Europe, so they might be in Asia, India, Africa, are they any different in terms of their outreach to American students?
0: You know, I think the issue is there's not as much of a concentrated area that has so many English taught bachelor's degree programs in other regions. In Europe, again, we're not even talking about the UK. We're talking about more than 3,000 English taught programs. All of those countries, except for one, are non-Anglophone. So that's a huge number. So I'm not sure how coordinated outreach could be from those other areas that don't have as many options.
1: Okay. We have been dealing for a couple of years now with COVID-19, with the pandemic, which has had a dramatic impact on most people's lives, some far worse than others. You kind of touched on this, but if you could go a little further with it, Jen. What impact has it had on the interest in students and their parents sending their son or daughter away to school in another country, whether, again, they're leaving the U.S. to go to a foreign country or coming from a foreign country to go someplace else, whether it's the United States or someplace else? Has it had any effect on the university or college's interest in reaching out to those students? I certainly know that colleges in general have been affected by COVID-19. Can you elaborate a little bit on that?
0: Well, one difference between European universities and those in the U S is the residential college concept. So in the U S you go to college and you're living with these kids, really tight quarters. You're sharing this bathrooms and shower halls with 40 students on your hall. And then you go to classes. It very tight physically <laughs> in Europe. They're not residential campuses. They're student residences, but they're not owned by the university usually. You're gonna have a private room more often than not in your own bathroom that you might share with one other person. It's a little bit more like apartment living. If you look at apartment type communities, those aren't affected as much as these residential campuses. So you do have that aspect. Students are a student of the city more than they are of the actual, in terms of student life, than of the actual university. So I'll tell you, when COVID hit, and you started seeing what it was doing to businesses, particularly those that are internationally somehow aligned, I thought, okay, just gonna hunker down, you know, and wait this out. And we actually had a huge increase in our business that year. And I think part of it was people were just not happy with how it was being handled in the country. I also think people thought it was going to be... A, I know I thought it was going to be a pretty short-lived crisis, you know, and that, okay, we still have to plan for our future. Let's get to planning. And so then, of course, it it turned out not to be a short thing. And business continues to be very strong. People are still very interested. And I think a lot of it is because, okay, you know what? Is a problem here? Is a problem there? It might not be a problem this month here. And it might be more of a problem there being anywhere in the world, really. I mean, it's a worldwide problem. Your kids are going to have to deal with it, whether they're in college here in the US or college somewhere else in the world. And then again, if you're going somewhere not the US, probably read about how many international students had visa issues coming into the US during COVID. But the travel ban, at least in Europe, like I said, didn't affect international students because you have residency when you are a student. And the travel ban didn't affect residents of certain countries. So our students, even in the height of it, you know, that September were able to get to school. There were a couple other papers they had to fill out to show that they had their residency and all that, to show passport control, but they were able to get to school just fine.
1: So the impact on students who were leaving the United States to go to, let's say, Europe, was not nearly as great as perhaps the other way around? Correct. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Wow. Because students and parents living in the U.S. maybe were less concerned about sending their students abroad, did you notice any change in the activity level?
0: In students?
1: Yeah, in terms of like, even your business or anybody else, were more people looking at this as an option than before? Was it really not much of a change?
0: Oh, I saw many more people looking at it than before. Still haven't completely figured all that out. But yeah, absolutely. And it was
1: because of the residential aspects of studying abroad in, let's say, in Europe that was piquing that interest? What no, was
0: I think, I mean, I actually know a lot of people were unhappy with how it was originally being handled in the U.S. and were looking for other options.
1: OK, yeah, that's helpful to know. Well, you know, one of the reasons why we call this show Looking Forward is because we're going to look into the future. And you really are kind of at the vortex of all this stuff that's happening in terms of student and parent interest in sending their children overseas from the United States. And you're also looking a little bit, as you've talked about, Jen, at the rest of the world. So I'm wondering if you could project with educated speculation, of course, over the next few years, what do you envision could happen, might happen? And I'm speaking here again in a global sense. Yeah. Do you see more schools in the United States reaching out to students all over the world and say, come here for your four year degree? Or maybe you're seeing a lot more of the schools in not only Europe, but in other countries reaching out to U.S. students and saying, hey, you know, this beyond the states is a pretty good idea. Maybe we ought to let people know, families know, about what we can do in the way of a four-year education. What are you seeing?
0: You know, in terms of the trends of marketing of universities, I'm not sure. I think that's going to remain sort of... I mean, there are certain countries that universities do market to more for international students. The U.S. is not one of those right now. Number one, I was reading a report by one Dutch university about their target markets, and it's just too expensive to try to market to the U.S. because it's such a big space. There are also gatekeepers in the U.S. to the information who may or may not be receptive to it, like high school counselors, other people who are like, ooh, we have, and listen, I'm not faulting them. They have a lot on their plate. They can't be expected to learn a completely different system but then sometimes what ends up happening is they end up preventing that information from getting to their students. Some of the trends I have seen, so the Netherlands, for instance, has more English taught programs than any country in Europe, other than Ireland, of course, because of that. And they also, all of their research universities are globally ranked. So it's a very, very popular spot to go to the Netherlands. And they have, there has been some talk about reducing or capping the number of English taught programs. A lot of this is because of a housing shortage international students are experiencing now in the Netherlands. However, I'll also say that I've heard this talk for a few years and there's a lot of, in any country, there's fear-mongering in the media. And so I think some of the recent stuff is that fear-mongering. One thing I'm seeing more in Eastern Europe, which may spread elsewhere in the world as well, it used to be that these like multidisciplinary type programs Liberal arts type programs that are so appealing to so many international students and American students in particular, they used to be very confined to northern and Western Europe. And now I'm seeing more and more of these in Eastern Europe. There's a, a liberal arts program at Page University in Hungary. Charles has liberal arts. There's a multidisciplinary global studies program at Masaryk University, which is in uh, Bruno in the Czech Republic. So there are some cool things happening there.
1: One of the things that makes me think about Jen, And we talked about this before we started Mm -hmm. the program, is I had just done a project for a production company in Kazakhstan, Eastern Europe. And I'm wondering if, again, maybe this is another impact of COVID or maybe this was already brewing. But the ability to communicate with people globally, even have Zoom conversations. I've had one guest was from Estonia, another Australia. Would that augur for more of what you just alluded to, countries not just in Europe, including Eastern Europe, but maybe in Africa, India, and where else, reaching out more?
0: I think reaching out more, I think having international interests is something that is more common in other countries than the U.S. And part of that is just because we're so geographically isolated. When you grow up in a country in Africa or India or Europe, you know, you're bordering with so many other countries that that are more like states where we are. And so having some of that international curiosity and experience and exposure, pursuing opportunities like this, more sort of normal.
1: This concludes part one of our two-part series on the growing trend of students going overseas to get a four-year college education with our guest expert, Jen Vimon. If you have any questions you'd like to ask Jeremy, please contact me at my website, www.jeff-ostroff.com. And if you like this episode, I'd really appreciate your liking it or giving it a positive review on the podcast hosting site where you listen to it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F dash dot com. This is Jeff Ostroff, inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.